0: are listening to the podcast of Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in Brooklyn. For more information on our church, please visit tgcwilliamsburg.com. I'm going to read our teaching text for today from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, and then turn it over to Lisa. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door. And pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hi guys, it's super good to be with you once again, and this time I'm coming to you to talk about my most favorite thing, which is prayer. Um, As you guys know, I just want to give you some backstory before we dive right into this talk. 24-7 Prayer, it's an international, interdenominational movement to revive the church and rewire the culture. We help people encounter God and engage with the needs of the world through night and day prayer, wildly engaging prayer spaces and prayer resources. missional communities and in christ-centered social action to champion the cause of the marginalized and the poor that's just a long way of saying that 24 7 prayer serves as a catalyst for movements of prayer mission and justice you know it was in 1999 that a group of young adults very much like you guys knew that they were bad at prayer knew that their missions and efforts lacked prayer, but frankly, they found prayer boring, and for them, it conjured up images of little old ladies in church basements, um, bowing their heads and praying for hours. Uh, but in their search for figuring out how to be good at prayer, they came across the story of the Moravians. The Moravians were uh, a community of people that were having some serious struggles, just serious troubles. and. They decided they were they were going to stop trying to pile on more initiatives and more things, more programs, and that they were going to focus on prayer for a season. They uh, agreed to uh, break up. Um, A month into hour-long slots and have people sign up by twos. The Moravians did sign up for hour-long slots so that the 24 hours were filled for a whole month. They were just going to beseech heaven, as it were. Well, they began to pray, and God began to show up profoundly in their community, working a quality of unity that they hadn't known but that they knew was possible. God began to show up in manifestations of the supernatural from love to healings. God began to speak to that community and give them a new fire for missions and God would meet those people in the prayer space, in those hour slots. God was meeting them in such tremendous ways and in such consistent ways that they decided just to keep going but they didn't stop at months in they just kept going they had decided they were gonna keep going um and they would stop when god stopped showing up well they ended up praying 24 hours a day for 100 years and the moravian it was from that prayer movement that was launched the modern missions movement that we enjoy on the earth today. And the 24/7, the young adults that were bad at prayer over in Chichester, England, and that were trying to figure out how to get good at it, they had latched a hold of the Moravian story, and they decided that if the Moravians could pray, you know, for a hundred years, then then this group of young people could pray at least for a couple of weeks, and so they emptied out what was, for all intents and purposes, a large closet. And, and instead of just filling it with some chairs in the round, they filled it with paint and art and clay and, and, and big maps and crayons and walls to graffiti on and great music. And, and they signed up and started to pray. They locked themselves in alone with God to see what would happen. And in those early days, God showed up in profound ways, just as he did for the Moravians. And word got out that God was on the move in that oversized closet that those young adults had put together for a season of nonstop prayer. And eventually, people who weren't even a part of that group asked if they could sign up to pray. And eventually, people who weren't even followers of Christ asked if they could sign up to pray. Stories were spinning out of God, of what God was doing in that oversized prayer closet and started to flood the city. Uh, Eventually the most primed time slots were the two, three, four, five in the morning time slots were were prized because that's where God would just uh, be his most mischievous. The stories that spend out began to be told on conference stages and God sneezed and that little couple of week 24-7, prayer room experiment uh, scattered across the nation as churches across nations asked if the baton could be passed to them. From that little prayer room experiment, the 24-7 prayer movement was born, and we've been praying nonstop since that little prayer room experiment. We've been praying nonstop since 19... 99 and the stories that god is even writing still today are just epic and phenomenal in big and in small nuanced ways god continues to move i joined the movement oh in 2005 but even before i heard about and joined the movement the movement was already in in almost all the denominations Um, that are a part of the body of Christ. Right now, they're in over half the nations around the world. Right at this very minute, there are over 20,000 virtual prayer rooms up and running, and there are people praying night and day all around the world. And God is being responsive to those prayers and to the people that go into those virtual spaces. To lift up the name of Jesus and the needs of their own hearts and their community's heart, and their churches and the world. So then I hopped on board in 2005 as a result of an open vision, where God downloaded some files marked prayer, mission, and justice. And then the prayer file was the first tab was prayer space, and uh, it was it was just fascinating to hear God talk about wanting a, a room of a, a room of his own. A space where he could, a space that could host the encounter between God and the objects of his passion. A a space where he could show off um, for those who would step in to meet with him. And so we created that space here in Charlotte in 2005. the same stories that were birthed in 1999 in that first prayer room were the same stories that we shared as in the early days, God wouldn't even let most people further than 10 feet in the room before he would mess with their hair and shake their hearts and shake their bodies and, and cause them to be prostrate, whether they were the corporates coming in from uptown or whether they were the soccer moms visiting the bike shop nearby or whether they were the transvestite prostitutes or the drug dealers, whether they were just ordinary Janes and jo- James and Joes, God would just meet them as soon as they stepped into the entrance of the prayer room. And i that was the first couple of years. We were taking running bets to that to see how far somebody could make it in without God clearly uh, giving them an encounter and really hardly anybody made it further than eight feet, 10 feet was the max. And, and I fussed with God the whole time because we had created this beautiful prayer space and God was hardly letting anybody get in it and close a curtain. Um, so I fussed with God about, Having people keep their dignity. I fussed with them about fire code. I was explaining to him how we couldn't have, you know, five, ten people piled up by the front door prostrate. Eventually, God relented. and you could come into the prayer space and get into one of the booths and close the curtain and start to talk to God about all of these themes, even though you could walk in and still stay upright. The stories that continue to emerge from the prayer room that we opened in 2005 are the same stories that are happening here in 2020, as the prayer room has gone nonstop um, since that first opening. So 24-7 is primarily known for its prayer rooms and we've certainly enjoyed watching God move out of that particular context. Anyway, about 2.5 years ago, through what I can only assume is a clerical error, I was invited to become the national director of 24-7 prayer. And one of the first things that God said to me was that he didn't want our primary goal to be getting more people praying more, which I thought was weird because we're a prayer movement. And he said he didn't want our primary goal to be about getting more people to pray more That he wanted to hone that goal. That he wanted our goal to help, he wanted it to be that we would help get more non-Christians praying more, which speaks to wildly engaging on-ramps and more missional-mindedness as a movement. But regarding Christians, he said that he wanted the goal not just of more prayer, but more effective prayer. The goal to make ineffective prayer an oxymoron across the body of Christ in America. And in order to maximize prayer effectiveness, that we had to go way back to God's original purposes for prayer. So I was asking God regarding prayer, what's the vision? What's the big idea? And he took me on a little journey way back before humanity had filled the earth. Uh, Take take a little journey with me, if you will. Uh, The earth hadn't been formed, it was still voidless. It was still darkness that covered the face of it. But there in heaven, it was all bright lights and great music and extraordinary worship. As God, it was finalizing the last uh, vestiges, putting on the last finishing touches of I guess what ultimately might be viewed as a man cave, we call it the throne room, but imagine God getting everything exactly the way he likes it. Now, if you've read definitions or storylines about what heaven and what the throne of God is like, it's a little bit on the Liberace side as far as interior design. There's a lot of gold, a lot of jewels, a lot of ruby. There's just a lot going on, but hey, there's no accounting for taste, right? So imagine this scene where God's got everything just the way he wants it. And not just everything, but but in his man cave around this throne, he's got servants who are perfect at what they do. When he bids them to go and accomplish a thing, he doesn't have to check behind them, doesn't have to check their work. It is done and it's done exactly the way that he wants it. So he's finished up the last little touches on his man cave, which is surrounded by servants who are perfect in all of their ways. Now imagine with me, God sits down for the first time after completely finishing the throne room, the man cave, for the first time he sits down in what, whatever his version is of a lazy boy, that, that throne that sits in the middle of it all. He sits down and oddly enough, instead of being met with a sense of relief and accomplishment and joy. Now, I'm sure there was that. But there was this other thing, too, that was this nagging absence of something. He looked around, and everything is perfect, just as he wants it. And yet there's something missing. He's got perfect servants. He's got the perfect setup. He's got the perfect throne. He's got the perfect God version of a man cave. He's got it exactly like he wants it. And yet there he is finally sitting to enjoy it. And there's something nagging at him. And that something that's nagging at him would ultimately be you and I, this idea that he wanted interaction and relationship um, that was more than just with all things perfect. But that was with an imperfect people with free will to make decisions on their own, to choose him or to not choose him, to choose to do his will or to not to, to not do his will, to choose to take him on as father and God and Lord or not to, that, that there in the middle of all that perfection as God sat in his man cave, the thought of you and I was born in his heart. And now think about this. He had to want that incredibly badly because he was surrounded by perfection and the thing that was born in his heart that would ultimately become you and I, it wouldn't just be a beautiful picture of you guys now seated in your living rooms watching this talk virtually after an extraordinary worship service. No, no. This was all of humanity that he had to take into account, that if he pushed the start button and gave humanity free will and created what would start out as perfect but what would become imperfect pretty quickly, that ultimately he'd be creating what would result in wars and genocides and, and diverse diseases of all kinds, um, that, that murderers and, and pedophiles and, And domestic violence and cancer, that that all of the negative side, all that goes with people making bad choices and the consequences that are born from them, all of that would be a result too, not just beautiful humans in worship to God. Now imagine this, God had to want that thing that was born in his heart when he sat on his throne and experienced that nagging. He had to want What would ultimately become you and I so bad that despite the wars, despite the terrors, despite the horrors that we would inflict on one another, and some even in the name of God, despite the martyrs and the mutilation, despite the brutality, the ways that we would be mean and hateful and hurtful to one another, despite the fact that the world would be filled with bad parallel Parkers, God still pushed play in hopes of getting the desire of his heart, which would be an imperfect people that would choose to walk with a perfect God, that would choose to become a part of his family, that would invite God perfect as he is, into all of their imperfect circumstances, to partner with him, to love him as father, to join with him as bride to bridegroom, to yield to him like a patient does to a surgeon, like an apprentice does to a teacher, like a bride does to a bridegroom. That, that, that God would be invited into the storyline and despite all our imperfections, that, that together we would create new storylines. God wanted this so bad. He wanted it so bad that he pushed play, even knowing all of the negative things that would come about, even the cost of, of the life of his own son and those terrible horrors. God never was out for perfection. He already had that before he pushed play on humanity. But he was out for people that would willingly choose him, that would willingly interact with him in the crevices and the corners and the imperfect places of their day in and day out. And in that interaction, God would write storylines with our lives that were worthy of being bound and canoned in scripture. The thought of us was born in God's heart and God's mind before he pushed play. And so when we think about the primary purpose of prayer and when we think about effective prayer, we must view it as the primary conduit to host all of our interaction with God and all of our transactions with God to host our interaction, our transaction, and and that it would be the conduit for which, through which all of the power, that power of an endless life, through which all of that would flow, prayer. And so prayer for our followers of, of Christ is never meant to be a side thing, but the primary thing. And its primary purpose is it for us to get our needs met. Its primary purpose is for us to meet God's primary need. Hmm? Think about this. Uh, Our primary calling is not to serve God and to work for the kingdom of God and to further the kingdom of God. Our primary calling is not the works of ministry Great though they are, our primary calling isn't even to love one another as Christ has loved us. Extraordinary as that is. But our primary calling, even above those aspects of our calling, is first to answer God's prayer. To fulfill the purpose for which we were born, which means our primary calling is first to companion the king. That before we execute the working for the king and the working with the king, our primary focus is to companion the king, which means that prayer is the primary conduit to host that companionship, that interaction with God as we invite him into all of our imperfection. The primary purpose of our lives is to companion the king. And the primary purpose of prayer is to serve as a conduit for that relationship, and so prayer was never meant to be a side thing for a follower of Christ, but always the main thing. But prayer is also profoundly mission. Prayer is partnering with God to bring on earth as it is in heaven. You know, they talk about unreached people group. That means people who are on the planet, who are um, in that 1040 window, who have never heard the gospel. They, they were, it's referred to as an unreached people group. But I think that the, the church is an unreached people group when it comes to the area of prayer. If the church understood prayer, then you would never want to miss a prayer meeting. You know, to have a casual, casual approach to prayer produces casualties. You know that there are many people who are not going to end up in heaven um, living eternally before the throne, worshiping God night and day, enjoying his beauty. There are going to be people that are not going to end up in heaven because the church has not taken a stand to contend in prayer for souls. You know, the scripture says the, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus, he hit the landscape and he, he said that, you know, the, the harvest is plentiful. Um, and, and he had already spent some time um, communicating the gospel and, and welcoming people into the beauty of it. But he recognized that this was more than the work of one man he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what's the next thing that comes out of his mouth? He says, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. And the next word Jesus says is, pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of harvest would send laborers." This is interesting because the first response to the magnitude of the harvest was not first going. It wasn't first sending. The first response to the magnitude of the harvest, this is Jesus himself, the first response was praying. You know, there are many people who are going, but they have not been sent for prayer. To see Brooklyn change, the city of Brooklyn change, to see nations change, God's people need to be sent from above. It's the prayer movement that gives birth to the sending movement. And while it's true that we need laborers in the field, laborers, in the field, communicating the gospel in all corners of the city, in all places of influence. Jesus said the priority was that these laborers would be sent from heaven and that they would be sent as prayer was catalyzed to call them forth and that they would be therefore sent forth with power, not just a message, but power. Oh, how our cities lack those who are sent with power, who are sent from a place of prayer, who've who've been sent by the praying people and the people who have given birth to a sending movement that is meant to scatter the gospel and power all throughout Brooklyn, yea, all throughout the nation. And so here are two things that I want to highlight. One is for maximum effectiveness in prayer, to help You guys begin to make prayer an oxymoron. The the first place that I send you is to the place of yes. That you would say yes to the call, the primary call, to companion the king. This is about setting things in right order. You know, the most common mistake we make, as weird as it sounds to say, is the mistake of making the second commandment, the first one and the first one, the second one. That all things, all of our resources, all the resources of heaven, yea, even the life of God itself is meant to flow out of our relationship to that first commandment, our companioning the king in, in the New Testament in John, that language is referred to as abiding in the vine to give a kind of metaphor, a symbolism for the quality of connection that God is desiring and the level of promise in the companionship, those who would take their primary call in that companionship are those who would begin to enjoy something that's also written in John 14 and 15, but that, that lands on this crescendo of that those who abide in me and let my word abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. That's effective prayer, but it's tied to responding to the call to companion. The king is our primary. Inspiration as our primary calling. And so, for maximum effectiveness, the first thing I invite you to is to say yes to the call to companion the King as your primary calling, to invite him from a place of absolute surrender and reckless abandonment to this relationship, to invite him down into the ordinary and the mundane of your everyday to walk relationally with him in the simple beauties and the rough patches of your life, to invite his input, to ask for his wisdom. It says the seven spirits of God, the spirit of understanding and knowledge and, and power, and the fear of the Lord, all of these things that summarize this idea that God is the smartest person that you'll ever meet, and he wants to walk alongside you in the ordinariness of your day to give you counsel and input and life and peace and the quality of joy that Jesus promised for those who would take up the call to companion the king and abide in him. So the first place is to say yes to that call of companionship that has nothing to do with perfection and everything to do with quality of relationship. And the second thing is to say yes to become a people of prayer. I just wanna encourage you to go home and start a prayer meeting. Start to contend for the souls in Brooklyn. Pick up, pick the worst and the darkest, most broken, Areas or most broken crime spots, the most broken situations that you know about in your city, and be relentless in consistent prayer to see God turn the tide. That that the shouts from everyone in this church at some point throughout every single week, shouts should be heard of at in Brooklyn as in heaven. So I want to close with this prayer for this amazing congregation that sits in the heart of Brooklyn that is poised to impact it more than any other church in Brooklyn that I know of. My prayer for you is is that God would in you reignite an insatiable hunger for and a commitment to the cause of consistent prayer. That God would draw you from where you are, draw you closer to his side, in such a way uh, that you are releasing to him all that you have and all that you are for an opportunity to abide in him, to companion him. I pray that you would be given a revelation of what it means to answer God's first prayer, which is the reason humanity was born, as the first place that uh, you start with and the place that makes him answering your prayer more effective. I pray that God would give you a heart for prayer, a vision for prayer, that he would begin to to shore up your current initiatives, that he would begin to strengthen those, those, those initiatives that you're visioning into, that they would all be strengthened from prayer. And I pray that there would be unity, greater unity from the midst of the congregation born from prayer. And finally, I pray that he turns each and every one of you into lovesick saints of the Most High God. Absolutely lovesick. who are partnering with him to see in Brooklyn as in heaven, as a part of the story that he writes for your lives. I pray this for For the church, in Jesus' name, amen.